0: Locked into the zone with Diamonds and Roses podcast, bringing you one step closer to Pacific Northwest and Southwest Canada baseball news, stories, and history. Proudly fueled by baseballism, their America's brand, and Devo Bat Company, professional wood grain bats for the love of the game. And now your hosts, Ben and Travis. Welcome, everybody, to Episode 3, Season 6 of the Diamonds and Roses Baseball Podcast. Today, we have a great episode, as always, and I'm joined by the Victoria Harbor Cats head coach, Todd Haney. Coach, how's it going today?
1: I'm doing great. A little depressed the uh, World Baseball Classic is over, but I'll work through it. We were
0: literally just talking about that moments ago. I mean, when this episode comes out, it's going to be a you know a couple weeks after the World Baseball Classic has ended. But let's talk about that. You you just you just said to me prior to jumping on and recording that that last pitch by Otani to Trout was unhittable. Tell us tell us what this classic did for baseball.
1: Well, it's the way the game's supposed to be played. It uh, you know every out matters, every inning matters. Uh, you've got the best players from around the world playing against each other and taking pride in their country, and so it's just so uh, exciting for baseball uh, on the world stage. And uh, yeah, it's just and it's just amazing the baseball when you put that much talent on the field every day.
0: Yeah, the I mean watching the United States take on Mexico was phenomenal and Mexico had an amazing lineup watching Japan and watching how they just stayed in the game. Didn't let being down against Mexico get to them. They battled their way back, won that game. Uh, They played one heck of a game yesterday against the United States in the championship. And I got to give it to baseball. I mean, baseball won. I mean, baseball won because you had your stars and all these different countries that came together and just played lights out phenomenal baseball over the last couple of weeks.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Yeah. I mean, you know, every country played uh, to their best of their ability. Every player gave everything they had. They took pride in what they were doing and it was just such a uh, fun to watch, you know, high level athletes that are really engaged in what they're doing and uh, and just trying to win at all cost. It was it was just great baseball. I, lo- I loved every bit of it. What what country surprised you the most? Uh, I would say Mexico. You know, Mexico um, definitely has quality baseball players, and always has. You know, I played winter ball in Mexico and Navajo for years. Played with Fernando Valenzuela. Um, so you know, Mexico has put out a number of players, but. You know, I think they really did a great job this year. I think Benji Gill, who was a, uh, a former teammate of mine, did a fantastic job managing. But I, you know, I think that they really showed the world how good they are and how good they can be, and how they're going to be yeah. a force to be reckoned with in the future World Baseball Classics.
0: Yeah, you know, he he actually surprised me as as a coach, and I think a lot of and, and several of the others did too, just with their demeanor and how calm. A lot of them remained, but how loose they were. I mean, they were like, just like they were like a player, like playing in the field, in the game or on the field. I mean, there were a lot of coaches that were like excited about being there and coaching from your perspective. Like, you know, how how did that look to you?
1: Well, yeah. um, Don't let the outside fool you. (laughs) Trust me. The stomach was churning. uh, The palms were sweaty. Uh, I think DeRosa said it was the most amazing experience he's ever had and the most stressful experience he's ever had. So, uh, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, as a manager, you want to convey to your players that, you know, Hey, look, this is a big deal, but at the same time, we have to maintain an even keel. We have to uh, uh, maintain a, a good demeanor as we move forward. We can't let the situation get too big. And so, you know, the great thing about a DeRosa, Benji, uh, King Gurphy Jr., all these guys that play in the big leagues, they've been there, done that, so they mm-hmm. get it and they understand what it takes to be successful in that type of a setting.
0: Yeah, exactly. And it was it was great baseball, and I, I really, really appreciate it. But we're here today to talk about you, coach. Um, and so I, I wanna wanna start off. I want to start off early years as far as uh, for you. And I'd like to get to know more about like what what got you interested in the game of baseball or, or what was that maybe that first memory of baseball that, you know, you can recall clear as day or, you know, what, what is something that got you into it?
1: So baseball has always been a part of our family. My father uh, is the only four time All-American in Sam Houston State history, so center fielder. Uh, Played a couple years of minor league baseball before he was injured, tore his knee up back in the day. And so I've got an older brother that is two years older. Um, He, you know, it was always kind of, we were out playing football, baseball, basketball. And so athletics was a huge part of our family growing up. And so baseball was certainly something that we gravitated towards. And then once I got to high school, and, uh, um, you know, saw that I was not going to be the tallest guy uh, around. I'm 5'8, 5'9 uh, in the program. Um, you know, I looked and I love playing football, but certainly uh, football was not going to be uh, uh, in my future, especially being from Texas where everybody's, as they That's say, life. everything's bigger in, in Texas. Um, basketball, obviously, I love, but, uh, you know, the, the that wasn't going to be a huge opportunity. And so, Yeah, I looked at what um, uh, my opportunities, what was going to be the best opportunity for me moving forward. And so that's when I really dedicated myself to baseball. Uh, But there was always it it was just part of our family growing up and still is to this day.
0: People talk about dedication to baseball and you just bring it up. What does that mean to you? What is what is dedication to baseball mean?
1: Well, it's a passion for your craft. It's taking pride in being the best you, you can be every day. And, you know, obviously I would have loved to have played 20 years in the big leagues and made millions of dollars, Um, but at the same time I didn't. But I have no regrets because I'm comfortable that I put in the work and I was the best player that I could be. So, you know, some people finish playing in high school, some finish playing in college, some finish playing uh, professionally. Um, So to me, that's what it means is you take pride every day of, hey, I'm going to do the best I can. I'm going to give everything I have. I'm going to work as hard as I can. And then, you know, I'm going to let the chips fall where they may, understanding that I am the best player that I can be on that given day.
0: Mm -hmm. And so what what are some things that you started doing in high school that were different for you from when you were younger playing? You know, were you working out? Were you just trying to focus in on skills? Like what are what are some things that you were doing personally?
1: So I would uh, get up in the mornings with my dad and work out. Uh, so I go to the gym at five thirty or six, which I'm not a morning person. So I didn't love it, but uh, it was something that I felt was necessary to put on weight and strength. Um, and then it's funny guys at my junior college still laugh uh, because I would be the guy that would uh, go for four. And then I would uh, pull my car up to the batting cage because we didn't have lights there and turn my lights on. So I could hit extra and figure out what I needed to do to be successful the next day. So, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just doing extra, whatever extra you have to do in order to be successful. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, it's just, it's just, you know, fielding. I uh, um, uh, was a good fielder um, but I became better as I progressed in college and then professionally, but it's also asking coaches, Hey, what do I need to work on to be a better player? And taking that information and utilizing it to help you as opposed to, oh, it's a criticism. You know, this individual is is, is help- wanting me to be the best player I can be. That individual has experience. They're giving me feedback. I'm going to go work on that.
0: Many, many people in the game of baseball have been coached by a parent or a relative who, who either played or just has passion for the game. Did your father coach you at any given point throughout your young career?
1: My father coached me from day one until the day I was done. So he was always there. Um, He did take a step back. Obviously, when I was playing professionally, I wasn't around him as much, but I still talked to him on the phone, Uh, still talked about hitting and, uh, and just the mental side of it. And so, yeah, he was there with me the whole time.
0: What's the one thing that you'll always take with you and even maybe pass on to another generation that your father taught you?
1: Uh, great question. You know, for me, it's just being there as a parent. So, you know, just, I knew that I could call him anytime. I knew that if it was two in the morning and I said, Hey, let's go throw or hit, uh, that he would be there for me. So, you know, that for me was extremely important. Just having the confidence to know that my father was there if I needed him, but also, you know, he took a step back when he needed to. So I think that would probably Mm. be the best thing that I could pass on is just that confidence and that understanding that, Hey, he's there and he has my best interest at heart.
0: Yeah. How was your mom as a baseball mom and, you know, working with you, bringing you to games, things like that.
1: Oh, amazing. I mean, just a, just a tremendous baseball family, um, you know, extremely supportive and, um, uh, but at the same time, you know, there was a couple of times, I think there was a time when I was at University of Texas and a time where I was playing minor league baseball in New Orleans where uh, one of the fans uh, happened to say something that wasn't overly positive about me. And uh, she got up and made sure that they heard exactly how she felt. <laughs> so, she made her feelings known that she didn't appreciate them talking about her son.
0: So yeah, so your mom is a real baseball mom. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> no
1: doubt. No.
0: With uh, the must have been great having like like at all having your parents there cheering you on. Um, but was it a little bit nervous for you? Was it nervous at any point for you knowing that your dad had played professionally? You know, in the minor leagues, and 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 you know, living up to that hype or or anything. Was there any of that for you?
1: No, there really wasn't you know, there was never any pressure from him on that end. It was just be the best player you can be and keep working hard. And Mm -hmm. so, you know, that was what I did. My older brother played at uh, Texas A&M and then he played professionally as well. And so once again, it was, it was in our family. Um, I think my older brother playing is what would help me out a lot as well, because I was always in his shadow. Uh, He was a really good baseball player. And so, you know, I was always competing with him, so it was interesting. I feel like that really helped me out as well. But uh, to answer your question, no, my dad was amazing. He never, he never pushed it where I felt like it was. I was playing, you know, for him. It was more for yeah. me.
0: What was it, what was that rivalry like right, between you and your brother with baseball?
1: That was awesome. <laughs> <laughs> unfortunately we never got to play against each other we miss each other in high school and then we miss each other in college um so we always you know playing basketball playing football everything um we competed all the time I still have the best hook shot my older brother's one, so he was he got the height of the family so yeah. the only shot I can make in basketball off of him was a hook shot so I still have a really good hook shot uh, that, uh, that I use on him every now and then, but yeah, it was just, it was just fun competing with somebody that was a really good athlete and, uh, and made you a better player.
0: Mm-hmm. You gotta have a backstory back, you know, backyard baseball story about your brother. Cause I know a, a lot of us do like playing, playing baseball in the backyard, just to, with friends and so on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <I> mean, <laughs> there's got to right. be a funny story. I, I, I'm digging here because I know there's got to be a funny story somewhere.
1: Well, I mean, I, you know, it, like I said, there's plenty of uh, of the competitive, um, you know, some of those ended up in some battles. And, you know, back <laughs> in the day, there might have been some punches thrown and that kind of deal. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it was it was it, sometimes it was a little too competitive. And so, mom and dad had to come out and, and smooth it out a little bit.
0: Yeah. What do you What do you remember most about your your high school years playing baseball and and what's what's maybe one thing from a leadership standpoint that you've taken from your your uh, your coaches then?
1: So high school, I felt like was really development and just kind of uh, um, learning to, I mean, well, basically figuring things out. Uh, You know, I was a good player. I I wasn't a great player. Uh, You know, out of high school, I had one scholarship to a junior college. That was my one opportunity that I took advantage of. But high school was just really playing with your friends, you know, playing baseball, basketball, football, and learning what you do best. And then I think it was my junior year when I finally said, okay, baseball is the direction that I'm going to go. And so I quit playing basketball and just played football and baseball. Uh, so, you know, to me, it was more development and figuring out what works for you and what possibly you have a future in.
0: I've talked to a lot of coaches, a lot of different ball players, and everybody's pretty consistent in saying that it's good to develop your body in different areas, meaning playing different sports. So you're working different muscles. Does that hold true for you?
1: Oh, I totally agree. I think I was a better athlete because I did play multiple sports. And so I think it does develop you, and I think it gives you greater uh, athleticism. Uh, but also football gives you mental toughness. I mean, two a days in Texas and 100-degree heat, you know, that uh, that certainly makes you tough. Uh, you know, competing in basketball and running up and down the floor and free throws to win the game. I mean, there's there's – certain little things that just help you develop that you can go back on and and realize you know when you're in the ninth inning of a game and you know you're thinking about a a free throw that you made to win a baseball game or or, I'm sorry a basketball game or whatever it might be you know that's what makes you the athlete that you are yeah and so you talk about
0: getting one offer out of high school to go to junior college Um, I mean that just getting one offer must have been pretty darn exciting but the fact that you got an offer to go play ju- at least at a junior college.
1: Well, you know, it was in the summer. Uh, I wasn't sure if I was going to have an opportunity to move forward. So uh, my junior college coach came out and saw a couple of us play in Waco and uh, and offered a scholarship. And so, you know, for me, I just wanted to take advantage of it and and keep playing. And so that it's amazing how, one you know, one offer allowed me the opportunity to continue to, play JC and then go to University of Texas and then play professionally.
0: What was that uh, what was it transition like for you from um, the high school level to junior college level?
1: Uh, you know, I would say every level is just like a funnel. So every level you had you weed a few players out whether it's from a physical standpoint or mental standpoint. And so, you know, the junior college was the next step. And then obviously, University of Texas was another bigger step Mm -hmm. as a D1 uh, uh, program. And then moving on to the professional side, A-ball, double-A, triple-A, big leagues. You know, it's just one big funnel that just continues to funnel people out. It's interesting.
0: Yeah. I mean, you talk about University of Texas, and I was looking, you know, doing a little bit of background research on you. um, You got to go and play in the College World Series with the Longhorns. And that they've been known to have one of those good, good programs must have felt great to be able to play for a program like that and be in your home
1: state. Yeah. So University of Texas baseball has has always been, uh, you know, one of the top programs in the nation. And so to have that opportunity to go from Panola Junior College to play University of Texas was uh, just such an honor. Um, it, it just, you know, like I said, my brother played at Texas A&M, which is a great school. Um, but, but, but having the, the chance to play University of Texas, going to the College World Series and, uh, and just being a part of that program, once again, I, you know, the, the best thing I can say is just such an honor.
0: What was that College World Series experience for you and what do you take from it?
1: You know, it was, uh, we couldn't beat Stanford. We beat everybody. We beat Oklahoma State, uh, uh, Arkansas. Uh, let's see, Oklahoma State, Arkansas, Florida State. Uh, Stanford got us both times. But to me, it was interesting the amount of big league guys uh, that we played against in the College World Series. Richie Lewis from uh, Florida State. Um, you know, there's a couple guys from obviously from Stanford. But yeah, it was. At that time, that's what the expectation at University of Texas was to play in the World Series, and so you're expected to play there. and uh, And obviously, it was just such a uh, such a fun time, um, and you know everything is is just on a higher level. So mm-hmm. it, was, it was a lot of fun. Um, I felt like we we did a great job outside of Stanford. We just they got us twice, and they had our number. Yeah.
0: Now, I did read uh, that you got an opportunity two years in a row in 1985 and 1986 to play in the Cape Cod League. You played one year in 85 with the Hartwich Mariners, and then in 1986, you played with the Orleans Cardinals. I mean, if anybody knows baseball and knows summer collegiate baseball, they know that the Cape Cod League is one of the premier summer collegiate leagues out there. Um, When did you first find out like about going and playing in the Cape Cod League and knowing what that
1: meant for you. So after signing with university of Texas, uh, coach Gus wanted me to go play in the Cape to prepare me for playing at university of Texas. Uh, So obviously I was thrilled having that chance to play in the top league. You know, back in the day, it was the Cape, Alaska, Kansas, a couple other leagues. So there wasn't as many back in the day. So to put yourself against the best in the nation was exciting, uh, but also it was uh, it, it was tough. I do remember my first game, there was a guy, I think he was from University of Maine, that was uh, Scott Morse, I think it was his name. First pitch he threw, 91 on the black, low and out for strike one. And, uh, and then I'm like, okay, I didn't see that real well. The second one he threw, strike two, and then he threw me a slider for strike three. And I'm like, I might be in a little bit of trouble here. <laughs> so <laughs> it, was, uh, it was interesting. But, you know, it was one of those things where I just kept working and, uh, and, and battling. I mean, the first time to use a wood bat, and now I'm in the Cape League and facing guys throwing 90-plus. So the first few weeks, weeks were not great, uh, but just continued to work and, uh, and grind it out.
0: I'm guessing with that work ethic of yours that you've talked about, you you were probably putting in some time in the cage because you know going from an aluminum bat to a wood bat is, is is actually a big difference, and so getting getting used to that, but also you know ensuring that you're you're maintaining with like speed of the ball and that game speed and being a little bit different than junior college, right?
1: Well, yeah. So the you know obviously the velo was higher but then you throw a wood bat on top of it and it's, you know, it's a different approach with a wood bat. You have to understand the barrel. You have to understand how to get the barrel there. Or if you're too, if you're too early, you're going to break the bat. If you're too Mm -hmm. late, you're going to break the bat. So you really have to understand, you know, barrel awareness and how to, how to uh, uh, timing from that standpoint. So, you know, that took a a few weeks to kind of figure that out. Fortunately, I had a really good hitting coach, an individual named Kevin O'Brien that lived up in the area and coached college and we spent countless hours in the cage working, you know, I'd get there uh, early and work with him and just kind of uh, a communication and talking about the day and, okay, here's today went two four, had a good day. Uh, you know, the next day when Oh four, what do we need to work on? And so really just game planning and growing.
0: Yeah. Now let's, I, w- I want to go into your coaching right now a little bit, cause I want to, I want to focus in on the aluminum versus the wood. And is it, with a wood bat, is it, you know, a different stance? Is it, you know, got to get a little bit harder of a swing on it? I mean, what are, what are those differences that you, you notice yourself playing and how do you work between the two?
1: So with an aluminum bat, you can hit one off the end, you can get jammed and you can still get a base hit. The bat's not going to break. So you have more error, uh, more opportunity to make an error and still get a base hit. Uh, with a wood bat, you've got the barrel, and that's really about it. So you've got to be really good putting the barrel on the baseball in order to be successful. And, uh, you know, that that's the biggest thing. Like I said, you get jammed with a wood bat, you're going to break it. So you have to understand on an inside pitch, mm-hmm. I've really got to be quick. I've got to be compact. I've got to understand how to get the barrel to the baseball in order to get there. Um, and then, you know, slider low and out. That maybe I can cap it with an aluminum bat and still get a base hit. If I do that with a wood bat, it's breaking as well. So I think that's the biggest difference is just understanding, you know, how the two bats function and how you have less room for error with a wood bat.
0: Yeah. And, you know, with your experience now playing, you know, coaching in, in the West Coast League, but also um back in your day when you were with the Cape Cod League, you know, that transition from college ball to to this summer league. I mean, it, it's a grind. I mean, like I've, you know, I've talked about this on this podcast multiple times with multiple different people. I mean, it's like day after day after day. And it's like, what was that transition like for you to have to go and, you know, maybe play every, you know, couple times a week to then, you know, going and playing like day after day after day.
1: So for me, you know, I love playing the game. So, you know, it, yes, you have to understand how to take care of your body uh, you have to understand how valuable sleep is and, um, and, and understand that some days, you know, you don't have 100%. You had a 10-hour bus ride. You had a flight. You just don't feel great, maybe. Uh, you only have 80%, so you have to give 100% of that 80% is what you do. Um, so you really have to understand how to work through not being at your best but still having to perform your best. And I think that's the biggest thing is you, you know, that's why the minor leagues are so valuable as you're playing 140 plus games and you're learning how to manage, you know, day to day. And then yeah. the other thing is just the mental side of, okay, I went four for four today, man, I can't wait till tomorrow because I'm locked in, you know, versus, Hey, I went 0 for 12, the last three games, man, I got it. You know, I mean, you know, am I in a slump or am I excited to get to the ballpark because I'm due? So you really have to understand the mental side of that grind uh, of a day to day and and how to approach. And, you know, that's the never getting too high and never getting too low and understanding what it takes to be successful on a daily basis playing the game of baseball.
0: Yeah. One of the questions that I've actually always wanted to know is, does the Cape Cod League, and you playing it? Did it live up to the hype that it was receiving as far as this predominant, huge summer wood bat league?
1: Hundred percent, hundred percent. It's uh, you know when you're throwing that level of talent out there on a daily basis. Um, you know, like I was saying, you can look at all the guys that in the two years I played in the Cape that played in the big leagues. And it's amazing. I mean, you're talking Hall of Fame, Craig Biggio. And I mean, I I mean, it's just amazing the number of guys that played in that league that played in the big leagues. So you're talking about the best of the best at that level and then moving forward, obviously.
0: Mm -hmm. Um, What's uh, just kind of finishing up your college years, you know, what's your biggest takeaway from your time at UT?
1: Just proud that I had the opportunity to play at such a, uh, a high level um, college. That is, you know, the expectation of every year to play in the College World Series. Um, you know, Coach Gus is one of the best college coaches ever, and um, you know we had a number of guys that uh, that played in the big leagues uh, that played at University of Texas in the in the couple of years I was there. But at the same time, you know. The, the majority of my friend group uh, is still to this day is from those days, the University of Texas. We have a core group of individuals that still, you know, get together, spend time with each other, go to everybody's weddings and, you know, uh, spend time with kids, things of that nature. So it was really a close knit group and uh, and just a tremendous you know, opportunity uh, uh, to 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 have the chance to do that
0: what you know i like to talk about leadership on on this podcast cuz i think like it's important i mean we we all as individuals learn and we take we, we pull something from somebody throughout our life from different people and it could be one thing it could be multiple things and i like to you know understand from end of individuals what what are some things that you learned from a leadership aspect from head coach at university of texas
1: so I felt like Coach Gus was – he was the, the best coach that I had at making you play up to your potential. So he, he demanded that you played every game up to your potential. And when we beat a team that, that, you know, we should have beat 14 to nothing and we beat them 4 to 2, you know, we were like, okay, we won. Great. Way to go. Let's move on to our next game you know, he would get on us and, and let us know that's not good enough. You know, you're University of Texas, uh, you're expected to play at a higher level. Uh, I expect you to come out every time and give everything you have. And, uh, and that was probably one of the things that I still use in my coaching uh, from a leadership standpoint is, you know, every day you're on that field is a day that you can get better. In every game that we play, give everything you have, and then let's move forward from there. Hmm.
0: 1987, you know, you finish up your college career. You were drafted by the Seattle Mariners. And uh, I know it was later in the rounds, but, you know, that that must have been a great feeling to get, get your name called and, and be drafted by a team.
1: Yeah, it was, it was amazing. I wasn't sure if I was going to have uh, – <laughs> the opportunity to play professionally, you know, I had a good career at the University of Texas, but not a great one. But going back to the Cape, you know, the I had a couple good summers in the Cape, and I think that really helped me out uh, playing in a wood bat league and having some success in the Cape. I really feel that that helped me from a draft standpoint. Um, but, yeah, I tell everybody, you know, I was uh, – King Griffey Jr. was the number one pick for the Seattle Mariners, and I was right after him in the 38th round. <laughs> We were
0: right there, man. <laughs> yeah, right there. <laughs> so you go when you play. Uh, you know, go go play in the Mariners organization for a little while. Um, what was again? You know, you you talk about oh, it's a funnel from you know each different league, uh, but you know clearly the cod prepared you for jump into you know professional ball. And so were, were you like hitting the ground running when you, when you first got there to spring, you know, spring training, getting ready for rookie ball?
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it was, uh, you know, the excitement of, okay, I get to play at the next level. And then also just figuring out, you know, is, is this, do I fit here? Uh, you know, and you know, you start seeing like, okay, You know, I'm as good as that guy, or maybe I'm a little better than that guy. Or, hey, that guy is like King Griffey Jr. Like, he's – I really never understood what five-tool player meant until I was around King Griffey Jr. And then I'm like, okay, he's way better than I'll ever be, but that's what a five-tool guy is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, you just start playing the game and you start seeing what's going on. But, you know, once again, it goes back to, I'm going to be the best player I can be. And if if I'm focused on being the best player I can be, then – then that's what my focus is going to be on a daily basis, and so that was what I looked at. Um, but yeah, you know, playing at University of Texas and playing in the Cape did prepare me for the the lower levels of professional baseball because I was playing against a lot of guys I'd already been uh, playing against. Mm-hmm. And what was that? What was that like
0: for you playing at that level?
1: Well, I enjoyed it because you got to play every day. So, I mean, what's better than playing baseball every day? So I loved it. Um, mm-hmm. I, I, I had a blast. Uh, you know, certain, certain days you love it more than others. So obviously, when you're three for four, it's amazing. When you're over four, it's not as good. Uh, but you learn and you grow and you develop. And uh, so for me, you know, I'm getting paid to play baseball. I'm getting paid to play a kid's game. I'm going to ride this out as long as I can, and I'm going to have a blast doing it.
0: One of the things I I like to do when I'm watching the game of baseball going to different places is looking at the stadiums and figuring out, you know, hey, is this a nice stadium or, you know, can you put this somewhere else? But traveling around to the different stadiums that you got to in minor league baseball, especially those early years where there's some that like stood out to you or like, wow, this is beautiful. And where there are others like, man, this place is a dump.
1: Oh, yeah. No, it's – you know, obviously they're a lot better now, which is good. Uh, but, yeah, back in the day, man, I played in a lot of dumps. There's no doubt about it. Uh, you know, some of the infields weren't very good. Um, you know, there was eight people in the stands at some places, and you heard every word they're saying, especially when they're ragging on you. Um, but, you know, once again, that's part of it. I mean, you know, mm-hmm. you're, you're still getting paid to play – baseball which is what you'd love to do and you have an ultimate goal of hey you know what I'm gonna uh you know I might have a chance to play in the big leagues here which is obviously the dream of every young kid.
0: Speaking of like young kids you being you still having that young kid in yourself playing minor league ball but let me ask like what was it like for you to like be talking to like younger kids that maybe wanted your autograph or wanted to talk to you because you were out there on that field and older and playing at that level.
1: Yeah. I mean, that was, that was probably one of the coolest things was, you know, kids asking for your autograph because we've all been in that position where we really love, you know, somebody and wanted to get their autograph and felt like it meant a lot to, you know, that, that player we connected with or just loved the way that they played the game, whatever it might be. And so Man, having somebody ask for your autograph, you know, it's still it's still cool to this day. I still get baseball cards sent to me to sign. And and, you know, I think it's a privilege and an honor that I still get to do that. Uh that somebody, you know, loves baseball and and, and loves what I did. Um, so yeah, it's it's it it it's a it's a cool feeling, no doubt.
0: Mm-hmm. So you were with you were with the Mariners from nineteen eighty seven to nineteen Jan, uh, January twenty first of nineteen ninety one, when you were traded to Detroit in exchange for Dave uh, Richards. Um, how what, what did that feel like? You know, being traded from the team that drafted you to Detroit.
1: So for me, I was you know I wanted to. Uh have an opportunity to play in the big leagues and Seattle at the time, Harold Reynolds was our second baseman, all-star second baseman, tremendous person, Uh, you know, so, you know, I was not going to play big leagues in Seattle. And so for me, I was excited uh, because I felt like, okay, here's another organization that, uh, that is interested in me. And it might be my chance to go play in the big leagues.
0: Yeah. But it was interesting. You didn't your stay in Detroit didn't last very long, because um, it looked like it, April seventh, uh, or oh, April fourth that year. You were released by Detroit, and then you signed with the Montreal Expos. Um, and we're with the Montreal Expos for a few seasons um, with their system. Uh, I mean, a quick stay in Detroit, and then further east to Montreal. Well. Uh, was that a, did that come as a shock to you to like only be with the Detroit for a little while and then to just be traded?
1: Great, great research and great question. <laughs> so that's when I learned. The business side of baseball was that whole uh, scenario. Um, so, and that's a whole nother story. Uh, but yeah, I learned the business side of baseball and uh, you know, I thought I was going into a situation where um, you know, I was traded with the potential of going to the big leagues. That wasn't the case. And so it, uh, you know, after talking with the general manager, it was in, uh, you know, my best interest to look for a different opportunity. And, uh, and so that led to me being released and then signing with the Expos. So
0: what, what does that look like? I mean, You having to look for another opportunity, is that you talking to your agent and saying, hey, find me another place to go play ball? Or is it you getting on the horn calling people?
1: Fortunately, it was my agent uh, that uh, that, uh, you know, once I saw kind of what was going on with Detroit and how it didn't look like it was going to work out, communicating with my agent and uh, and like, hey, look, I'm you know, this this is not working out. Um, you know, I'm going to need another opportunity to go play somewhere else. And, uh, and, you know, he did a great job getting on the horn, talking to some different general managers and and different teams and finding me the, uh, the chance to play with the Expos. Mm-hmm.
0: Well, we have a lot to, to dive into. And so I want to, I want to ask just one last question about the Expos. What just, just briefly describe in a sentence or two your time with the Expos.
1: Well, it was my first opportunity to play in the big league. So, uh, amazing opportunity. The uh, organization I thought was fantastic. There was a lot of really good people in the organization. And so, nothing but great things to say about the Expos. Uh, man, you know, the the team that, uh, that they had in the early 90s was on oh, the yeah. A lot of great things. So, yep. you know, a little frustrated that, uh, that things didn't work out. Uh, with the Expo's organization, but man, that was it was a really good organization.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, I just one last question: How is it playing? How did it feel like playing in that the Olympic Stadium there? I mean, I know as a kid, I I got to go to actually go to Montreal and watch a game. Uh, I think my first game that I got to watch was between Montreal and the Pirates, and uh, man, that place was just hot and scorching hot all the time when I went there.
1: Well, I think the probably the most frustrating thing was, you know, it, it just, there wasn't enough fans, you know, they, I mean, I think, you know, there was five, six, 10,000 people there. And so, you know, there wasn't the support to maintain the team. Um, so, you know, for me, I was playing the big legs. I didn't care if there was one person or 50,000, <laughs> you know, I'm in the big legs. I don't care. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, you know, certainly that was, um, uh, you know, an issue that, you know, that the, they weren't drawing as well, um, as they needed to.
0: hmm So, you know, you play there 91, 92, and then in 19, in the, the fall of 1993, um, I guess you were, you asked and were granted free agency. And was that because, what, what was the reason for that? Like, was it because of playing time? I mean, what, what was your thought there?
1: So I became a six-year free agent. Uh, you know, once you are in the minor leagues for six years and you have an opportunity to be a free agent, uh, so the organization owns your rights for those six years. And then after that, uh, you become a free agent. So, I mean, it opens... The um, the bidding for you to go find, you know, who what organization would be a good fit moving forward. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so, you know, talked to my agent and we looked around and, um, you know, moved on and moved on to the next opportunity. And that was when that's in Chicago. Your
0: next opportunity, you know, put you in Wrigley Field, Um, you know, obviously historic ballpark, historic. Team, lots of history there. Uh, what was what was that like for you to be able to be going to the Cubs?
1: Well, you see the uh, the, the the paper behind me, right? That's oh yeah, I, right there. Just coolest, uh, coolest room in the house. Uh, <laughs> the Wrigley Field was amazing. Um, just the the history of the field, the organization. Um, Harry Carey, the uh the bleacher bums, you know, the the playing on the dirt and the grass. I mean, it just there there's not much better than Wrigley Field, just from the beauty of the game itself. Such a such a fun place to play.
0: And they have the ivy all along the outfield. I gotta ask, did you ever go like just touch it because just to see like what it was like and to be around it
1: yeah, you have to i mean i still have some with me so <laughs> i mean you can grab some and take it with you so yeah, yeah i mean it's uh it's really yeah it's it's and that's another thing the ivy on the outfit wall i mean it's just a cool deal
0: now did you feel a little like excited about like oh, okay i want to go up and grab it or are you like Oh, hey, uh, I hope nobody's watching me. I just
1: kind of grappled oh, yeah, over. I had to like, yeah, I want to make sure it wasn't too blatant or anything. <laughs> I'm sure I wasn't the only guy doing that. But at the same time, I don't want to go up there and take like a handful.
0: <laughs> well, that's good. Well, let's talk to you about your time with the Cubs. I mean, you spent a couple of years there. Uh, you know, you spent well, the first year and then again, you had free agency. You were re-signed by the Cubs. Um, so... Uh, what was that time like there for you at, uh, with the Cubs organization?
1: So great, you know, great organization. Um, you know, 94 was frustrating. I went up, uh, had a good year in AAA and went up and then we went on strike. And so obviously that was a a difficult time, hoping it wouldn't last long. It ended up lasting The world series was canceled. And so, you know, that obviously was very disappointing, Uh, 95 went back up and had a really good year uh, the last half of the year so you know felt like okay here's my here's my chance to to stay in the big leagues and uh, and Ryan Sandberg came out of retirement and uh, you know finished his Hall of Fame career so uh, you know I ended up being a utility guy in 96 uh, which was just tough I just it's hard enough to hit in the big leagues every day, much less once a week or once every two weeks. So mm-hmm. I just didn't, I uh, uh, wasn't very successful as a role player and, um, and a utility type of a player. Uh, so, you know, I had a great stay there, uh, met some great people, really enjoyed playing, you know, Mark Gray, Sean Dunstan, uh, Brian McCray really, really class group of individuals and class group of big league guys
0: must have been an out of this world different experience for you because you go from texas to chicago and playing those early spring games it could be quite cold there how did how did you adapt to playing baseball at wrigley from being in texas
1: Oh, it's brutal. (laughs) It was brutal. The bears sent uh, some of their cold weather stuff for us early in the season. And so, I mean, I had mittens and, you know, ski mask and everything else because I'm not a cold weather person, you know, but at the same time you're in the big leagues, you better figure it out. Uh, You know, it's no time to, to, uh, to not uh, perform, you know, you can't have any excuses whatsoever. So yeah, you, know, you just deal with it to the best of your ability, but yeah, it, it was it was tough. It's it's cold, there's no doubt. Yeah.
0: The reason why I ask him and why I got this like huge smile on my face, because there's this the movie Cool Runnings when the guys go from Jamaica to Calgary <laughs> to play and they're stuffing, like the warm stuff in <laughs> in yeah. their thing. It's like that's all I can imagine. And I remember uh, Todd Helton years ago when they were playing the Red Sox in the World Series and it's like snowing the day before and then the next day it's like really cold and he's drinking coffee in the dugout like during the game. So I can't imagine it's like doing all this stuff just to try to like keep warm there in Chicago. Oh.
1: Yeah, no, no doubt. Heat now, warmers and toe warmers and anything else you can find.
0: You, you briefly brought up the strike of 94 and I know that was a, for, as a baseball fan, let alone as a player, but as a baseball fan, I mean, that was like a trying time. And, you know, that was a year, you know, Montreal was expected to go all the way, but, um, you know, baseball ended early. We didn't get no playoffs. Was that something that you saw, really saw coming or was it, was it something that came as a surprise to you?
1: No, I mean, there was talk about it. So you knew that it was a possibility. You just never imagined that it's going to be, Canceling the World Series, so when you know when the strike happened, you're hoping, okay, hey, you know, a week, maybe two weeks, something like that. We actually stayed in Chicago because we're like, well, we didn't want to drive to Texas and then drive back when the strike's over, mm-hmm. so we stayed in Chicago until it ended up canceling the season. So you just don't expect that, and then for it to carry on into you know, 95 was really surprising. So yeah, that was a, that was a really difficult time for baseball. No doubt.
0: What was the, what was the union? Like what are some things the union was like trying to say to you, all of you to like keep uh, your hopes up and knowing that baseball may come back and, and what was that communication like?
1: Well, the communication was just stay strong and, and, um, and, and, you know, understand what we're fighting for, and uh, and you know, and you know, ask questions if you have any or you don't understand something. You know, so sort of laid it out here specifically why we're doing this, and here's why the ownership is doing it, and uh, and let's stay strong as we move forward.
0: Okay, and last question on it. I mean, like, how did you feel individually about that strike?
1: Well, I mean, obviously, from you know, from me getting called up, it was extremely dis disappointing, uh, but at the same time, I understood, you know, the future of the game and and what players were fighting for, and so, you know, as a, you support your fellow teammates and your friends, and, and you know, once again, understanding, hey, this isn't just about the baseball players of 1994, this is about the future of baseball for all players.
0: Mm-hmm. So, flash forward to 1996 in October of that year, you were, you know, granted your free agency once again, and you re-signed with the Mariners uh, in the December of 1996. Uh, but your stay with the Mariners only lasted <laughs> a few months, and oh, yes. then, and poor guy was traded again. Um to Houston for future considerations. I mean, at least the first time you were traded for a player, but this time you were traded for future considerations. Um, was that a little weird for you? Was that you know, did you feel a little down about having to leave the mariners yet again? I mean, or was it just like well, this is just feelings mutual?
1: No, I mean it's you know, it's a sometimes you have to make a business decision. They had some younger players that they wanted to play and develop, and so it was just a communication of, "Look, here's here's the direction we're going, and uh, you know if if you feel that it would be better for you to seek a trade or go somewhere else, um, you know." So from a respect standpoint, it was uh, excellent communication, and um, and you know I respect the organization for being honest with me and just saying, look, here's the direction we're going. We've got some guys that we, that we want to develop. And, um, and so, you know, I I moved on to Houston um, who needed a, a kind of a backup to Vigio at second base and, you know, insurance policy. And so, you know, I ended up going over and playing in Houston for the year.
0: Yeah. And then you uh, 97, 98, you spend it with the Mets organization back in the Big Apple, um, you know, what, how, how was it like playing in New York?
1: It was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, you know, I mean, you got Piazza and John Franco and I mean, there's just, there was a long list of, uh, of, of really good big leaguers uh really great big league guys, uh, a lot of talent um, so yeah, you know, playing in New York is, I mean, you're, you're, are playing on the biggest stage. Uh, you know, I was only up for about a month or so, you know, I, I led uh triple A in hitting, uh, that year that I got called up. So it was somewhat of a reward for having a great season. And so, uh, you know, I got to go out for the last month of the year and, uh, and get back to the big leagues, which was uh, fantastic. Um, you know, obviously, I wish I would have been there longer, but I mean, you know, Edgardo Alfonso was there playing second. So, you know, if you look at my career, I kept getting stuck behind a lot of all star second basemen, but that's just part of the game.
0: Yeah. And those are the final years of Shea Stadium. So you got to, you got to, you know, play and shave before they, they tore it down, right? Yes. Yep. I mean, that's a, you know, they say, and the reason why I talk about this is because like my, my, my wife and, is from uh, Long Island along with you know my wife's grandparents and my mother-in-law and, and they grew up like big time like met fans and you know if you ever watched the last play at Shea by Billy Joel and he he talks about Shea Stadium is like it's built on a dump but it's our dump and it's like <laughs> all these like feelings that you know go into it um so i mean you know being able to play in a historic place like that you know was uh probably very interesting, probably a surreal moment, I'm guessing, just like Wrigley uh, for you. Um, And then, you know, uh, you know, they talk about, you know, between the Yankees and, and the Mets, that stress of playing in New York because of the expectation of what, you know, those fans want of you. How, how is that? Did you get that feeling of like, there's this high expectation more, even more, in New York than any place else.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's uh, you know, for me, anytime you're in the big leagues, you know, the expectation is extremely high, obviously. Uh, but yeah, New York, um, it definitely takes it to the next level. There is no doubt about it. <laughs> there you go.
0: Um, so. At what point did you know, all right, my professional, my professional career is done and I'm going to take that next step in life.
1: So 2000, I signed with the Royals and went to spring training with them and uh, with the expectation of, you know, been in the big leagues for a few years, uh, you know, maybe have a chance at the utility role in the big leagues. Um, but uh you know, it's one of those things where I got released at the end of spring training. Uh, they told me they were going to go with some younger guys and, you know, I just felt like it was time. I wasn't, I I just felt like it was time for me to retire. Um, and so I think after three days I was going to going to, you know, resign, look at some other teams and, uh, yeah, I just, you know, we, my wife and I had a, our son was an infant at the time and it just felt like, OK, uh, you know, 13 years of playing. I think it's time to move on.
0: OK. All right. Well, I want to take a little bit of a break between your, your baseball career and then your next step in life to ask a few few random questions that I like to ask some of my guests. And my, the first question that I like to ask some of my guests is if you could have one superhero power, what would it be
1: and why? Wow. I wish you'd email me that before. <laughs> <laughs> I, just get some I could have thought it. about it. Uh, Think about that. So yeah, I know. I, yeah, I know. I mean, you know, being invisible would be cool because you could be wherever and uh, all that good stuff. Uh, obviously, you know, Superman and having superpowers where I could hit like Eighty-five bombs a year. I think that'd be pretty cool.
0: <laughs> I think you probably so, have more than eighty-five. Bombs yeah, exactly. A year. <laughs> I
1: would hope I would have more than that. You know, maybe a hundred or something like that. So, yeah, let's go with uh, let's go with that.
0: There you go. There you go. Next question is: Is that what, what's your favorite baseball movie?
1: Uh, favorite baseball movie is uh, Bull Durham.
0: Bull Durham.
1: As much time as I spent in the minor leagues. I thought that was a great representation of the minor leagues and in uh, a very enjoyable movie. So, yeah, I, I, I love Bull Durham. Bull Durham,
0: obviously, clearly a classic. Kevin Costner, you know, playing the catcher is phenomenal. And, uh, yeah, hit the ball. <laughs> it's great. Oh, yeah what's yeah. what's, a, what's a what's a funny like line from any of the baseball movies that you've watched that just sticks with you and and you probably use randomly out there here and there uh
1: you know Bob euchard you know just a bit outside I mean that's one that you know everybody repeats somebody spikes a ball and throws it away and I mean that one is uh is is repeated quite a bit um let's see uh you know bull durham um the candles when they're out of the meeting at, at the mound and you know candles would be a nice uh <laughs> you know that that's always a good one have uh, you
0: ever um, said something like that in your coaching career about like things going on did you just kind of bring that up and at, at any point
1: yeah i mean sometimes you know you got a kid that's a little nervous so you go out there and just say something random to him. um you know, I always. Uh, you know, the one I've used a few times is. You know, there's a billion people in China that don't care if we win or lose, and okay. you know they look at me like, "What?" And I go, "You know, there's a billion people. They don't care if we win or lose. It's you know, it's not that big of a deal." And they're like, "Ah, I get it now. Okay, yeah." So, um, but yeah, sometimes you know, you I'll just go on go, hey, you know, what's your, uh, you know, what's your favorite, uh, uh, you know, group? What's your favorite music group? Mm-hmm. And they're like what are you talking about, coach? I'm like, what's your favorite music group? And they're like, uh, you know, whoever it is. I'm like, okay, well, good. All right, all right, let's finish the game off and let's move forward here. Let's have some fun. Yeah. So you know, you just got to break the train of thought, you know?
0: Yeah. I think one of, one of my favorite movie quotes is in Major League when they're sitting down and she comes in and she hands them the pieces of paper and she says, this is the list of people we're inviting to spring training and the guy's gone down through it and he's like, this guy here is dead. It's just like we'll cross him off then. <laughs> <laughs> nice. That's one of that is like yeah. one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, that's good. <laughs> we'll yeah. cross him off then. <laughs> 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 nice. Well, that was fun trying to take it a little bit of a divergence from you know that and talking a little bit some funny things. Uh, but let's get in. I I know there's a lot in between. your time of baseball into what i'm about to talk and you know i really wanted to i really want to talk about this now because it's really really important to me because i like to cover the west coast uh summer collegiate baseball league it's i think it's one of the best leagues out there i like the structure i like just what it does for student athletes um the competition um but I also like the fact that like so many great people work for these organizations that are affiliated with this league. Um, you, you came into the league in 2018 from my research uh, with the Victoria Harbor cats as an assistant coach. Um, that, this as far as I read into it, but that was that your first time playing coaching in this league and. Yes. Okay. And what, what what was your first introduction to the league?
1: So Brian McRae, who is my former teammate with the Chicago Cubs and New York Mets, we've been friends for years ever since. Uh, just a, a, a great individual. Um, he called me. So we, we'd seen each other. I had a select program in uh, Texas. He had a select program in Kansas City. So we would see each other through the years, uh, spend some vacations here and there. And uh, he called me in uh 17, 16, 17, and said, hey, I'm going to go coach up in Victoria, British Columbia uh, next summer, Uh, signed a two-year deal. Do you want to go coach with me? And I'm like, well, you know, first of all, where is Victoria? And so I Googled it, and, and I looked at the pictures. I'm like, man, that place looks amazing. Like this, what a great opportunity. But my son was going to be finishing his high school career in 17, so I said, look, I can't do it in 17. But once he's done with high school, I'd love to come out and do it the next year. And so things worked out where I was able to go out there in 18 and uh, and coach with him, uh, The you know, my first year out there. Mm-hmm.
0: And that first year experience with the West Coast League, um, what what was your big takeaway? Where, I mean, did you come out of it like motivated and be like, man, I got to do this again? This was a good time.
1: So, this, the, the city of Victoria is one of the best cities I've ever been to. Uh, my wife and I absolutely love it, uh, love the people. Um, our organization, from top to bottom, are just first class. Jim Swanson, our owner and GM, is just a first class individual a baseball guy that loves the game and has a passion for it. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but just the people in Victoria make it really worthwhile. And then you look at the league itself, uh, great competition, um, you know, a lot of uh, 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 really cool places. Um, and and I just love the format of the league and working with college kids as well. So at that time, I was trying to decide if I wanted to get back on the pro side or be in the college side. And the first year in that league led me to understand that that was a great place for me would be in the college game.
0: Yeah. So speaking of Jim, you know, I got this little quote. Jim calls you the perfect summer ball coach, experience and communication skills and understanding today's players and the right approach of development and battling to win. What do you say about that?
1: (laughs) That's awesome. I love it. I I appreciate that. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, yeah, You know, it's, it, it really is a good fit. Uh, it's it's really cool when things work out. When, like I said, Jim and I, from the moment we met, have just clicked. Uh, we both have a passion for the game, um, and we both just are uh, are very. We can easily communicate with each other about good, bad, or whatever it might be. Um, so yeah, our personalities fit really well together.
0: Yeah, I've been up to Wilsons Group Stadium, and it's seen. It's a pretty intimate stadium. I mean it's 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 a much it's a multi-purpose feel, but it I mean the feeling that you get when you're there is a very intimate feeling. Like you know the the even the crowd feels like they're on top of the field. They're like right there. They're part of the game. Um, what does that mean to you to look out of the dugout as a coach and as a leader of these young athletes to to allow them this opportunity to be in? in front of 2,000 plus 3,000, maybe even pushing 4,000. I mean, on average, it's like 3,000 people a game. But, I mean, it's like it's a good, decent crowd, and these fans are into it. Like, what does it mean to you to, to have these kids in front of these, this, this these particular this crowd of people?
1: So from a coaching standpoint, it's a blast coaching there because the environment is so uh, exciting and the fans are so good. You know, they, they enjoy the game. They're passionate about Victoria. They want to win a championship. Uh, they're great fans. So that that in and of itself is, is, is a fun deal for me. But I really like the players having the ability to play in front of 5,000 people when we do fireworks. And it's really fun for me to step back and just watch the players sign autographs and uh, mingle with the, the fans and just enjoy, you know, that opportunity that they might not get. You know, they might be at a small junior college, a, D, a small D3. Um, you know, they might be at University of Texas and play in front of that many people, but it's still fun for them. So, you know, I love that, that our players get that opportunity to play in front of that, you know, that, that like you said, it's a special – uh, intimate setting, uh, but it's just such a fun environment.
0: Yeah, I mean, I gotta say, like, I'm actually a little jealous of you. And the reason why I say I'm, I'm jealous of you is Victoria's gorgeous. I mean, like, you go play, you could play island ball for the summer. You get to yeah. be in an amazing environment. So, some part of this doesn't must not feel like a job for you.
1: Yeah, well, and that's a great thing. Is my wife? So my wife comes up there with me. And so we spend the summer there. So we're there for two and a half, three months. Um, all of our friends are jealous. Uh, anybody that I ever say, hey, I'm going to be in Victoria in the summer. And uh, they're like, oh, my God, I've been there. I've heard about it. I mean, it's just a hidden gem that I don't want to get, you know, I don't want too many people coming out there. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, I mean, you're right. It, it's just it's such a great city. I mean, the, the food's amazing. There's the music. Uh, you know, the, the topography of it. I mean, we'll play golf one day on an ocean course and the next day we'll play on a mountain course. Mm-hmm. It's just an it's just a amazing, amazing place. What's, what's your one fun thing that you like to do while you're there? Uh, so, you know, I love golf. So Victoria golf club is one of my favorite places to play golf. Uh, there's no carts allowed. So you're out walking and you just enjoy the day, enjoy the ocean it, it's it's really special um, but I mean I you know my wife and I will just walk, walk around downtown when the ships come in there's a lot of hustle and bustle down there um, so we'll walk around downtown we go try new places um, our one of our favorite Italian places El terrazzo is just outside of Italy is one of the best places I've ever been uh, we've got a little tapas place that we love mm-hmm. um, so yeah I mean it's it's man there's just There's, there's so much to do and see and butcher gardens is, uh, Mm -hmm. is beautiful. Uh, so yeah, you can just go down the list.
0: You ever been to the sticky wicket there? I think the the little the Irish pub that's like multi-story.
1: I have been there. Uh, but I, our players, uh, I've heard our players are there frequently. So, uh, (laughs) the coaching staff usually goes elsewhere. Okay.
0: Okay. <laughs> I, I like I like that place. I think it's kind of a really nice. Yeah. No, no, place.
1: yeah.
0: <laughs> um but knowing the 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 league and knowing that you're working to bring players in, develop players, um, I've got to imagine that you know, being a head coach that it's not you're not doing this job three and a half to four months out of the year. I mean, this has got to be something where you're constantly, whether it's on a Teams call or a Zoom call or something, working with Jim to put together you know, the staff, if you have turnover on the staff, but then also like what do we what's what's the vision for the year? Like what are these players working with college coaches? Like, what's that time commitment like for you?
1: It's year round. Um, so, you know, we're recruiting, I was recruiting on August 15th when we were done playing. Uh, so started talking to college coaches at that point. And so recruiting all fall, putting together the basis of the team. And then, uh, you know, I talked to some coaches just the other day, uh, you know, we're looking at the roster. We've got a couple individuals that are injured right now. So we got to figure out if they're going to be able to make it uh, or they or not. And so do we need to fill in for them? So it's a constant, uh, ever changing, uh, roster. And then you, you know, then the season starts and, and, you know, you have, you know, everything under the sun, uh, you know, transfer portal and grades and girlfriends and grandmas and family and, you know, uh, homesick and everything else. So it, it's just constant, uh, I'm not going to say chaos, uh, but there's constant movement, uh, within the, within the, uh, the, the, the roster.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I mean, I can see that like from watching the Harbor cats over the last several years minus COVID, but like watching it over the years and you know, those injuries and you, you don't, it's not, it's not like you could go pull somebody from another team just to like come play with you. I mean, you're, you're dealing with what you, you're like, your cards that you're dealt with. And what, how difficult is it, honestly? Like, how difficult is it? Like, if you have a couple of players that leave, either transfer portal, injury, I'm, I miss my mom, I miss my girlfriend, so on. Like, how difficult is it to go grab another player elsewhere to, to fill in?
1: It's, well, it's definitely tough. You know, once the season rolls around, like right now, you know, we've got a list of some guys that, uh, that we could pull from. Um, you know, if we do have an injury or somebody decides they're going to be unable to play. So we do have some backup in there, but once the summer rolls around, uh, you know, it definitely gets uh, difficult to go find and, and, you know, you can find some players, but at the same time, you know, expectation in Victoria is for us to win championships. So you know we want to go get the highest level individuals we can uh, that will help win the championship for the city of Victoria.
0: I want to walk through a series with you against the Apple Sox. And I believe it was 2019. I believe it was 2019. Yeah, 2019. You know, that particular I think it was that particular summer where um, you know, it's back and forth between you guys. You go and you win in Wenatchee. you come home and you have one hell of a game in Victoria. And I mean, I think I think it was a comeback on that. And it came down to the final couple outs in that last very inning. I mean, what's going through your mind at that moment? Are you on pins and needles? Is like the juice is going like what's going through your mind and how, how excited are you at that moment?
1: Well, it was a great series. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it's it's exciting. It's fun to watch the kids play and play as hard as they were. And, you know, the just the wanting to win and never giving up. And, yeah, you know, in that situation, when you step back, you, know, you just sit there and go, wow, what, a, what an amazing game. And, uh, you know, sometimes you just look and say, you know, either they beat us or we beat them, whatever it might be. And that was, a, that was an amazing game. I'm sure the fans enjoyed it. It was enjoyable for everybody. Um, but, you know, what stands out to me is, is Harrison Spahn, who played at Cal Baptist. And the first year in 18, he played with us. He hit like 205. And, you know, tremendous kid, just kind of still finding his footing. Uh, but to see his progression in 19, and, you know, now he's hitting – you know, right around 300, uh, um, he's more of the leader in the clubhouse and on the team. And, you know, he's the one that got the game-winning hits. So just to see the development and progression of him, and now he's playing minor league baseball. So, you know, that's some of the exciting part when you look at this is, yeah, you know, I'm as competitive as anybody. I want to win. I want to win a championship. I want to win it for, you know, Jim Swanson and for the city of Victoria and the Harbor Cats. Um, and for the kids as well. Um, but when you look at a guy like Harrison Spawn and see the development from 18 to 19 to playing minor league baseball and hopefully big league baseball, you know that, that's when it's really rewarding and and uh, and a lot of fun.
0: Yeah, I was just going to ask what's what's the most rewarding piece for you about this? I think you just answered it. Seeing that that development of these players, both on the field and I'm assuming off the field too, and and so what, what's your leadership philosophy um, for your players?
1: You know, for me, you know, it's, um, you know, I try to keep it very simple. I try to, I try to um, provide them with a atmosphere that's similar to playing minor league and big league baseball. So I want them to feel free to make mistakes uh, because that's the only way to grow. I want them to obviously play 100%. I want them to hustle and play the game the right way and respect the game. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, I feel that they have freedom during the summer to come out and really test the boundaries of their athleticism and maybe try some things that they are a little uncomfortable with to see if they can grow as a player. And so that's part of my leadership and and what I want to bring to the table with summer baseball is here is a tremendous opportunity to play in a great city. And within the context of that is let's see how good you can become as a baseball player. And for me, I love teaching. I love coaching, but I love teaching more. So Mm -hmm. I like getting out in the cage and working with a guy and then seeing them go from 200 to 300. And I'm not saying it's just me, but you know, them putting in the work and, and growing and developing, you know, that to me is very rewarding. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, working on uh, some defensive things, just subtle footwork, you know, things that I learned in the big leagues on a double player, whatever it might be to bring that to the attention of a player. And they use it in a game and they're like, well, that was awesome coach. Thanks. You know those are rewarding because now you're giving back to players um, that are trying to play at the next level.
0: Yeah. So, I want to I want to jump forward to, to last year. You know, you you come out of those two years of absence of baseball in Victoria, coaching summer ball. I've talked to Jim a couple episodes ago regarding. What it what it was like just for the organization as a whole, upper level management to have to go through those two years and then you know then come back. Um, But from a coaching standpoint, you know most of the coaches in the league only had a one year absence. Victoria had a two year absence. What, What what how difficult was it for you and the staff to transition from the two years off to then coming back in? and trying to get going and get, get this program ramped up again?
1: Well, it was, it was extremely difficult, uh, you know, missing out on two years of baseball in Victoria um, and just, you know, being a part of the the West Coast league. Um, I think the hardest part I think was we, we had a really good culture established after 18 and 19 of expectations and players that had played for us. And so when they showed up the next year, they knew expectations. Uh, they led some of the younger players and players that hadn't played there to say, hey, here's what Coach Haney expects, and here's what the organization expects. Now let's go do this. So we almost had to start over last year and uh, and get that back in place. And so we struggled a little bit early. Um, we righted the ship uh, about middle of the season and ended up uh, you know making the playoffs. Um, but I'm excited because we have a number of guys coming back this year that played for us last year, and those guys will understand, you know, roles, expectations, and be able to communicate with the younger guys. So, you know, now we can get that culture back to to, to where we had it in 19.
0: Mm-hmm. And I heard this, this this whole mentality that nobody can beat nobody beats us in the baby blues and the, the the baby <laughs> blue uniform, like. Is that is, are those your favorite set of uniforms that you guys have?
1: No, they're not mine. They're the kids. The kids <laughs> love them. And so we were talking one night after the game and we you know, we had won like three or four straight in the baby blues and I'm like, "Yeah, nobody beats nobody beats in baby blues." And so they you know, jumped on that like, "Oh, here we go." So, yeah, it was uh it was uh uh it just kind of came to pass but I mean, they're baggy. You know, they don't look good on me at all. But the kids love them, so I'm like, look, if we keep winning, we wear them every night. I don't care.
0: Yeah, there you go. There you go. Well, coach, I, I really, really appreciate your, the the time that you spent, you know, with me tonight. And I, you know, I got one, I got one final question for you, and that is that you now the Harvard cats now have a rivalry on the island in the night owls. And being able to have that, you know, knowing that you have another team there, which is great by the way, because I mean, it's just awesome for the Island, but what does that mean for your team to have this, this new rivalry with the night owls just North of Victoria?
1: Well, I think it's great for the fans. Um, You know, just bringing excitement to the ballpark, you know, Nanaimo will travel down to Victoria and Victoria will travel up to Nanaimo from a fan standpoint and take some buses. And so, you know, I think that it's that it's really exciting from that standpoint. You know, for us as a as a team, you know, I mean, you know, everybody is our rival. I mean, we, you know, we want to beat everybody and they want to beat us. So uh um, an know. inner island rivalry, just a little yeah, bit exactly. more than than
0: man, <laughs> man. Man, let's say, okay, we're gonna go beat the, the Yankees of the league, which is Corvallis. I mean, so it's just like it's a little bit little bit different.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Exactly. So I, as we continue to uh, as we continue to play each other and I'm sure the more we play each other, we'll get a you know good rivalry going in there. So. Uh, so, yeah, it's you know, that's always fun. You always want to have those types of, uh, of, of teams that, you know, there's a little extra uh, enthusiasm and excitement when you go play them.
0: Yeah, definitely. Well, coach, thank you so much. It's been wonderful. Finally getting an opportunity to, to sit down and talk with you and spend some time and learn more about you uh, other than just reading about you, learn more about you and hear some uh, hear some of your stories. So thank you so much for spending some time with us tonight.
1: Yeah, I loved it. I appreciate what you're doing and uh, keep spreading the word about the West Coast League. And uh, maybe we can talk during the summer and then maybe after the summer, if we win the uh, championship, we'll get back and, uh, and have another one.
0: All right. Well, I'm pretty confident I'll be up to Victoria this summer to be able to spend some time with you and the the team. So, But again, thank you for your time. And that'll do it for this episode of the Times and Roses podcast. I appreciate you anywhere you're at. Give us a like. Spread the word. West Coast League Baseball is coming up this summer, so be on it. And uh, keep it locked in here for more great episodes. So you have a great day wherever you're at, and peace out.